For those of you just joining us today, um, we've been talking about Romans 5, 1 through 5. Courtney read it last night, but I just want to read it again to get our minds focused there. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to pray for us. Um, Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for gathering women from all over the city to be able to worship and study your word. Um, I just ask that you continue to go before this day, that you're glorified, and that we point each other to you, Lord. I ask that your words be my words today and that you speak through my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to pick up where Courtney left off in verse 3. She started with, um, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, and we're going to continue on, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So last night, she defined suffering from Webster's Dictionary. I think it was pressure was the main definition, trials. Yeah, so if you look up endurance in the dictionary, you'll see it says the ability to withstand hardships and trials. So we're going to withstand hardships and trials. Biblically, when you look for the word endurance in the Bible, you'll see it interchanged in different translations with steadfastness, patience, um, perseverance is another one. For professing Christians, I believe that endurance is remaining faithful during suffering because of hope in Christ. So endurance is remaining faithful during sufferings or struggles because of hope in Christ. As Courtney alluded to last night, it's not white-knuckling it to the end or the worldly um, pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps type of grit, but biblical endurance has a faith that rests in God's promises and is full of hope, and it allows us to press on. Later, we'll unpack what this looks like on how to endure um, in this fallen world. But in case you weren't able to attend last night, I just kind of want to recap a little bit of the beginning part of 5.3. So we discussed suffering last night, and it says, Paul, Paul says there, we will rejoice in our sufferings, not we rejoice even though we suffer. We are not going to say that we are going to endure this heartache with a smile and say everything's fine when it's not. And being a Christian doesn't mean that you don't let the suffering get to you or you rejoice in spite of the suffering. This is not biblical because we know how Jesus suffered. He suffered with agony and tears and cries as he walked to the cross. I think it would have minimized the cross if he would have walked up to Calvary and said, it's fine, it's fine, no big deal. No, he endured the suffering for the joy set before him, that joy of returning back to his father, of making us righteous before God and conquering death. The best metaphor I can think of in my life so far has been childbirth. As um, Aaron said, I've done it three times, and each time it was just as painful as the last time. (laughs) There was still suffering, and it was the same intensity, if not more, because then I actually knew what was coming or or happening. But um, I did it each time, maybe with more maturity, because of the joy set before me, the hope of a sweet baby or new life. And that's the same thing in this world. We're going to endure this world for the hope of new life, the new heavens and the new earth. And so just as Christ endured, we will endure for the joy set before us. 
Paul also doesn't say there, we rejoice for sufferings. So no glory is giving for suffering much. Last night, Courtney talked about the spectrum of suffering. And I know in our small group, some people thought the word suffering is heavy, and maybe they haven't experienced it and wanted to relate more to the word struggle. And you don't get an award for um, being the person who suffered the hardest thing on earth or whatnot in God's eyes. Um, see, without hope, we would, all of us would try to free, flee these sufferings. But Christians possessing a genuine faith or a hope in the unseen have this supernatural capacity for worldly sadness and the ability to, to grieve. I think our joy is enhanced and our sufferings of Christ mean the most when we suffer too. We're going to spend a little time in James too, but I think Wes will pull it up. James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Courtney read that part last night, and then we'll continue on. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, one of the words we use interchangeably with endurance. See, just like Paul in Romans, James here is helping us answer why we have sufferings or trials. We know that suffering exists because we're in a fallen world, and when sin entered, it's not going to function as God intentionally designed it. But James is trying to give us purpose as well from, God's, uh, from God during these trials. So I'd like to say that trials and the testing of our faith are what produce endurance or steadfastness. And I'm getting that from James. Trials and the testing of our faith produce endurance. So while enduring, we'll still grieve, but as a follower of Christ, it will not consume us. Our faith may be tested, but Jesus can supply the endurance. And I just want to note, like, positivity or sure optimism or mindful thinking, none of those things are going to make it in the face of suffering's reality. See, James's whole book is about living a life of genuine faith, and he begins his writings talking specifically about suffering and endurance. And I think, even thinking back to myself, like, Young believers are often taken back when suffering or struggles happen because you're surprised. You think, well, if I was favored in God's eyes, then these things wouldn't have happened. But this isn't the gospel. See, suffering will occur. Struggles will happen in your life. And unbelief may creep in. And your faith will be tested by trials. But because of the hope in Christ and the joy set before us, that steadfast muscle will be produced and exercise and endurance will happen and you'll persevere and grow and experience true joy. Looking forward to Kim sharing about what comes out of endurance this afternoon. So the Lord is faithfully going to be executing a work of growing us in maturity and endurance among these hardships for his glory and for our good. A couple chapters later in Romans, Romans 8, 25, Paul says, here we will, let's see, Paul 20, uh, 8, 25, um, he says, but we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the big question at hand is, how, how can we patiently wait and endure this fallen world with a faithful heart? So when things are happening and when it seems hard, how do you continue to be faithful? So first, this is key, very important. God is the giver of endurance. See, Romans 15, 5 says, may the God of endurance, causing that right there, God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. God is the God of endurance, the sustainer of all things, including our faith. I love how 1 Peter says, We have an endurance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, it's by God's strength. He gives us the ability to endure. He is the source of power for us to endure in this path of obedience to him. In fact, I think we're asked to persevere because our Heavenly Father perseveres towards us. 
like his, his love doesn't waver, and it remains. Um, I think it was 1 Corinthians 13, or 13, 7 says, love endures all things. You know, we read that at weddings, but really it's talking about God is the definition of love, and it says love endures all things. It's his love. So we can endure because of God's power, and we can endure because of God's love, and it never ends despite the sufferings of this world. Okay, I'm going to ask a question that I think it made Wes almost think I should take it out of this, but <laughs> y'all hang with me. So, is endurance toward Christ a condition you must meet to obtain salvation, or is it the inheritance or is the inheritance of salvation a gift that enables you to endure? Okay, another way to ask this. Is the message of the gospel you must endure to be saved? Or is it you will endure to the end because you are saved? And um, I think we, we want to say number two, right? Um, but I think this is why when I was studying and prepping through this, I sat on the word endurance for a little while because in scripture I saw two things. I saw the word endurance used as a command, and then I also saw it as a gift. See, Matthew 24, 13 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Or 2 Timothy, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hence, therefore, laid up for me as a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but all who loved his appearing. Or in James, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. See, it's not an either-or, but a rather a both-and. Salvation is the reward of endurance, and salvation is the gift of grace. Salvation is the reward of endurance, and salvation is the gift of grace. We're going to endure for God's promises because we know his promises are ours. We're going to endure for God's promises because his promises are ours, his promise of eternal life. John Piper says it this way, we must, or he commands us to endure in the world for he is holy, that's his character, but we shall endure to the end for he is sovereign, and that's his grace. See, it's a pretty picture, beautiful picture when you mesh these two together because we get the gracious promises of scripture for endurance that give us that security and the peace and stability. And then you get instruction from scripture about endurance, talking about urgency, encouragement, and how to admission. Okay, we're going to flip over to the New Testament now. The, well, we were in it, but over to Hebrews. Hebrews 12, it's a rather famous passage on endurance. Um, the book of Hebrews is a pretty mature and sober book when it comes to pain and stress in the Christian life. Hebrews talks a lot about the endurance it takes to run the race at hand with the race being life, to fight the fight and finish well. And sometimes it can actually be hard to appreciate the spirituality taught in Hebrews if you've considered maybe a rather pain-free life thus far. I know that personally, probably for the first 20-something years, um, I considered it pretty, my life pretty easy from my vantage point, minus maybe a hard breakup with a boyfriend in college. But um, most things seem fine, including being oblivious to a lot of sin in my life, such as idols or of um, school, perfectionism, career, vacationing, family, what I pictured things would be. And it wasn't until a nasty thing called postpartum anxiety after my second child, and then subsequently a um, medical event after my third child that I suffered much. And I've suffered, but I've been enduring by God's grace. Um, again, I just want to make sure when you hear me talk about these things that there's no reward for suffering more in any kind of situation. Um, in fact, this week leading up to talking on endurance, 
I felt like I was enduring day by day. Uh, I'm going to call it spiritual warfare um, now because I was going to talk on endurance, but there was lots of things that were um, hard each day, Um, whether it was giving uh, my youngest son an EpiPen on Sunday night because he has a cashew allergy to forgetting to take a neighbor dinner who just had a baby and lots of things that could whisper um, inadequacy or insufficient. Um, But it was cool for the Lord to humble me and teach me, like, it's okay because you're sufficient in me. So a little background on Hebrews, though. The Christians in Hebrews were losing heart, and they were growing weary. A lot of them were in great spiritual danger, um, maybe sometimes like us. They were experiencing stress, and they were experiencing sufferings. Sometimes it was threatening their faith, and a lot of times they thought the sufferings or sadness were lasting too long or they were too intolerable. But the whole book of Hebrews is written to encourage the Christians to keep the faith and keep the faith and endure. So I think this is for us too. I was thinking about it like what would be required of a, a missionary or many of you in a church plant, like one, two, five years after being there and like the newness of starting it or going has worn off. Um, even like what what is what is needed to endure your marriage or disability or um, broken relationships or um, a hard uh, work situation. In Hebrews, the author tells us in 1036, he just says right out, you need endurance. He says, you need endurance. Because all these things are going to happen, but the only eternally detrimental thing to any of you would be losing the faith or not continuing to run the race toward Christ. R.C. Sproul says this, at times it may seem as if the darkness is winning, but God's word stands firm. People around the world are hungry for his truth, and by the Lord's grace, his people are taking it to the nations. Our high calling is to remain faithful, faithful, to stay steadfast to the Lord in this struggle, to fight the fight for God's truth of to fight the to fight for the truth of God's word and to not compromise. If we remain faithful, we are promised a sure and great reward. And he quotes Revelations, the one who conquers, finishes the race, will not be hurt by the second death. So we're going to cling to that as our ultimate goal. But we're going to see in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, how um, the author points out how to endure, but then he also points out our source of endurance. So Hebrews 1, 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So first off, what does it say in verse 1? It says, um, we endure with a great cloud of witnesses. So the first step is we're going to endure with a great cloud of witnesses. Well, who are these witnesses? Is this interactive? Okay. Um, 12.1 starts with therefore. So what comes right before chapter 12? Chapter 11. So chapter 11 goes through a bunch of Old Testament prophets. So the witnesses that we're going to be encouraged by in this race of life are the Old Testament prophets. For example, Hebrews 11.27 says, By the faith... He, Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, we have these cheerleaders in the sports arena called called life, and it's the Old Testament saints. They're not cheering us on with um, 
pom-poms or chants, but they're cheering us on by their faithful endurance, their example of that, waiting expectantly for the unseen Christ. A few chapters prior, Hebrews 6, 11 through 12 says, Do not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Or in James, James 5, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. For you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So the Lord gives us the accounts of the Old Testament prophets for our encouragement. And this goes hand in hand with the second way we endure, which is the scriptures. We're going to endure by studying and memorizing scripture. Um, I know that could sound cliche and something that you always hear as a church answer, um, but it's true. <laughs> the Romans 15:4 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. See, the scriptures are written for your encouragement. The Bible, the way God wrote it, book to book, story to story, he's always pointing you to encouragement. So we're going to use these as we endure. Again, being a follower of Christ does not mean that everything goes smoothly. And we're going to fight a lot of physical battles and spiritual warfare here on earth. But in Ephesians 6, he says, I give you my word. It's the sword. Use it to fight these battles. But what are we reading if we're, besides the Old Testament prophets' examples in the book that is going to give us that encouragement? God's promises. So earlier we said we endure for God's promises because we know that his promises are ours. So examples, things that you would be reading. You'd be reading Jeremiah where he says, God puts a fear in our hearts that, when, that we won't turn from him. Or Philippians says he will begin a good work in us that will then come to completion. Or here in Hebrews it says he will equip us to do his will and work in us through Jesus Christ. See, we're going to fill our minds with his word, his promises, his encouragement, and his instructions because his design is best. Um, last week I started reading Katie Davis's major, her name used to just be Katie Davis before she got married, um, her new book, the name of it, Daring to Hope, sorry. <laughs> she wrote Kisses for Katie, which maybe some of you have read before, but anyway, she is probably 30 years old, and she lives in Uganda. She started a nonprofit called Amazema, and I think she's adopted 13 girls from Uganda. Um, so she's been busy. But anyway, she discusses in her book how a four-year-old little girl named Jane, who had lived with her for three years that she had been fostering, was taken from her back by her biological mother, and it caused Katie great suffering. She wanted to be the one to keep um, tying Jane's shoes every day and tucking her in at night and telling her how much she loved her and how much Jesus loved her. And so she was asking and wrestling with God and wondering why is this happening because I don't think this is what's best um, for Jane. She was also watching a lot of her friends that she worshipped with in Uganda suffer from hunger and loss and disease. So I want you to hear what she wrote about this struggle. In her book, Katie says, I was left with two explanations. Either God is not actually who he says he is, or he is, and I need to relearn how to know him, even in hardship. So I devoured scripture in a new way, trying to find the answers to my questions. I read Romans 8.32 over and over. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how he not among with him graciously give me all things? Could I believe this? All things. Though God did not answer my prayer the way I wanted, he answered, though. He whispered, I will make this beautiful too. I've already blessed you. 
I was a work-at-home mom with a tribe of little people running a growing Christian ministry serving hundreds, but despite these superficial measures of supposed success, I was only just learning a complete and utter dependence on, the, on God, learning the beautiful tender side of him that would love me in spite of me relentlessly. See, suffering struck Katie, and Katie asked hard questions, and she wrestled with God and where he was immense her suffering. But by God's power, she dependently um, continued to press on in the Lord by studying scripture and clinging to his truths. Another person who you might be familiar with, John Piper, said this about his dad. His dad encouraged him with the promise of Isaiah 41.10 when he was younger. He was headed off to Germany for three years, and Piper said, I quoted that verse to myself hundreds of times in those three years. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold you with my righteous hand. See, Piper struggled with anxiety his whole life, and he says, When... He says, when um, I fought this many times, and when the motor of my mind is in neutral, the hum of my gears is the sound of Isaiah 41.10. See, it's key to have scriptures written on our deceitful hearts and memorized on our minds, or else we'll just hear the emotions of ourselves. And Piper endured with scripture memorization. Okay, I could talk on studying scriptures for a while, so <laughs> I'll spare you. But going back to Hebrews 12, 12.1, it says, Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. So the next way we're going to continue to endure is to rid ourselves of sin. It doesn't say we have to run in Nikes or we have to go as fast as the Olympian um, Usain Bolt or anything like that. He says rid ourselves of sin. See, sin is heavy and it weighs you down. I know when I didn't get a position I applied for at work that I struggled with inadequacy and um, self-worth. I was suffering a disappointing circumstance, um, but I was also suffering sinful pride. See, it weighed on me, and I had to repent of desiring man's empty praise or thinking I should have been chosen for that position. But um, one of our pastors said a couple weeks ago, like, the main wrestling in this life or the main wrestling goal in this world is to rest in God. That's our goal. And we cannot rest in God if we're resting in money, positions, looks, achievements. We want to rest in the promises of God that we just talked about that we would be reading, not the promises of sin. So we repent. And I know it's a popular question, though, to say, well, what about if the sin, what about if the suffering that's happening is not caused by a specific sin? Um, what about the hurricanes that just happened? What about the wildfires? Uh, um, what about the cancer diagnosis? Um, I know my son had a brain bleed, which is the medical condition I referred to earlier, earlier, and so that was suffering to his body when he was one month old. Um, it was probably mental suffering to Wes and I later, and maybe physical too, with sleep deprivation, um, but I had no idea it was coming. There was not a certain sin I did the next day that caused Levi's brain to bleed, right? Um, but my sins were still exposed. For example, I had to repent of control. I had to uh, repent of wanting to know the future. I asked God to let me trust him more than the medical staff that was taking care of us, though those were really good graces. Um, and it doesn't happen in one time, but he will instill that peace. So even, even when the suffering is not caused by sin, we still practice repentance because we're still sinners, even when the suffering happens that isn't caused by that. But we cannot remove that heavy burden of sin on our own. So they give us a perfect answer. In Hebrews 12, too, it says... We will run with endurance by looking to Jesus. 
so. You can only rid the sin by looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Christ. We already said he's the power and the strength that enables us to endure, so we repent and look to Christ. So what does it mean to look to Jesus to endure? Um, Again, the author continues on. It says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So it's knowing who he is. It's knowing and appreciating who he is. We look to him as the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So we know who he is and what he's done for us. That's how we look to him. See, the amazing thing about suffering is that you'll probably learn the most about God because you're going to be desperate for him. Um, I know when I mentioned earlier about the postpartum anxiety, when that happened, I started questioning immediately, like, why is this happening? What is wrong with me? There's no reason I should be uptight. I don't understand. I don't understand. Why am I crying? Why am I anxious? Um, there's people who are in third world countries, and it was a comparison game, and I was like, compared to 99% of the world, I had a job, church, family, husband, two healthy kids at the time, you know, no, no reason. I was wondering, why is this happening? What's wrong with me? And the Lord ever so slowly taught me, Casey, stop asking why, stop asking why this is happening, and remember who, who's got you? Who do you have? You have me, the creator, the Lord of all. And I think this was the first time I ever cried like tears of appreciation for my salvation. So I encourage you praying for an increase in faith, increase in love for Jesus, to know him, to know what it means to fix your eyes on him. Because like me, the root of all anxiety is unbelief. So here I was being tested. My faith was being tested. um, And he was saying, look to me, I've got you. By the Lord's grace, I acknowledge that. And with the aim to continuously repent and pursue him. But you know, like if you're, um, I know, being married now almost 10 years, like Wes and I are far from the honeymoon stage, right? So like I continually, that's a relationship. I have to pray for increased love for Wes and um, increased appreciation for who he is. And the same thing goes for our relationship with God. So we want to pray and ask for that increase of love for him. It's not just something that we're going to naturally wake up, right? We naturally are meant to rebel against him. So ask for that and he will answer. I mean, it tells us right here in Hebrews that he's at the right hand of the Father. And a few chapters prior, Hebrews 7.25 reminds us that Jesus is interceding for us. So look to Jesus, Jesus, pray out to him, and cry when you're struggling. I think Courtney said last night, um, he he hears you. He definitely always forgives our sins, and um, nothing is too small or too big for him. And it won't be pleasant at the time, but the trials will produce that stronger, grittier faith. See, I probably wasn't, I'll never say I was ready for Levi to have a brain bleed, but I can be thankful for the four years prior with the postpartum anxiety because it did produce that grittier faith, and I saw the endurance muscle, like, strengthened throughout the time. So even though I was crying and suffering when he bled, I immediately remembered, and it took me, I didn't go to the why, I just immediately, by his grace, in the hospital that day, was going to the who, I was like, Lord, you've got me, you've got him, you've got to hold us, I cannot do this, and I need you to help and hold us along the way. And he protected me from asking that, why is it happening, and falling down the um, self-pity and uh, discontentment path that was probably um, right there, hanging on. Um, But anyway, he answered the prayers, and I think many of you know I continue to always pray for for Levi to be held, but it was the same thing for me. It was like, Lord, I know you're there. I need you to hold me. 
So the last verse that we read, Hebrews 12, 3, says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the last way the Hebrews author is telling us here to endure is to consider him who endured. So we remember how Christ endured. He's wanting us to use that in how we will endure this life. So how did Jesus endure going to Gethsemane or going to the cross? Um... We already said he didn't just walk up to it and say it was fine. And I think this is why the cross can bear more weight when we're suffering, mainly because we see how small our sufferings are compared to his act of love, but also watching the agony and tears that he went through. See, Christ endured with submission. I love in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is gracious thing in God's sight. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He's our example. We're going to remember how Christ endured. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. See, when Christ was enduring, he submitted to the Father, right? Not my will, but yours. So we too would want to exercise that same type of dependency and use Christ as an example and endure dependently. Okay, I know you have one more blank in there, but we're going to flip back to Hebrews 3. 13 for the last way of how to endure. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So how do we help others and others help us run this race of life and endure to the end and keep the faith? What this author says here is we point each other to Christ. We're going to guard our hearts and each other's from the sinful, deceitful ways. So I want us to endure in community. Lastly, I want us to endure in community. Hebrews 12, 24 instructs us, stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging each other with truth. And this is so important. I, don't, I think the Hebrews author writes this because he knows that we're prone to neglect to meet together. He wouldn't have to give us this warning. Um, I know it's easy to make an excuse like why we skip Sunday worship. The weather was really nice, especially as we're about to go into a rating season. <laughs> we might say that, or we haven't joined a small group yet because we've been really busy. But he knows that this is a tendency of ours, and he wants us to meet together, meet together in homes or work or coffee shops. Don't actually say that, but anywhere is fine as long as you're pointing people to Christ. Um, he doesn't want us to meet together, though, and just chat or fall into gossip and call that Christian fellowship. Um, no, he specifically gives the instruction of meeting together and encouraging one another with truth. You know, it's good to meet together in quiet, or it's good to have your own quiet time and study and do scripture memorization and pray. Um, but there's, I don't know how else that we would, um, how else we would be able to help others or ourselves hold fast to that confidence in Christ or hold each other to accountability of good works if we neglect to meet together. Um, I don't think anywhere in the Bible does it say that our faith is private or best exercised alone. Um, No, it always says it's best exercised with others and with God. And I think I heard a lot of this last night. I heard some really good examples of the way community has supported people when they have been struggling or suffering. And I think think it's great. We're going to want to cry together and be vulnerable you know, ask others to pray for you when you can't. Um, other followers of Christ, they have been comforted so that they can comfort you, and I think we can look to that for encouragement. Um, 
I didn't walk through that postpartum time alone. Um, yes, I had people praying for me, but it was imperative that I met with somebody regularly and we studied scripture together. So I recently learned who Diedrich Bonhoeffer is. If you don't know who he is, um, I'll give you a little bit more background later, but Wes is reading his biography. Anyway, Bonhoeffer's a German theologian. He was executed at the end of the World War II because he was opposed to the Nazis. And he pretty much had this um, community thing figured out in the 1930s. He wrote a book called Life Together, The Classic Exploration of Christian Community. And in his book, he writes, Secular education today is aware that often a person can be helped merely by having someone who will listen to him seriously. And upon this insight, it has constructed its own soul therapy, which has attracted great numbers of people, including Christians. But Christians haven't forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him, who is himself the great listener, and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God, that we may speak the word of God. See, I utilized a Christian counselor after um, Levi's brain bleed. It was hard to transition to life back outside the hospital, and then subsequently life back in the hospital, because I actually work at Seattle Children's. So going back to work was a little challenging, but it was so nice to meet with somebody and have um, them listen and be able to hear truth and encouragement, just like Bonhoeffer pointed out. In the same book, though, he goes on to write, if someone asks a Christian, where's your salvation, your righteousness, he can never point to himself. He points to the word of God in Jesus Christ, which assures him of salvation and righteousness. He is as alert as possible to the word because he daily hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He desires the redeeming word. But God has put this word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. See, when one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to the other. God has willed that we should seek and find his loving word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belaying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother slowly because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. See, to endure, we need others in Christ. So I really encourage you to seek out community and live in a way that you can receive and give the word of God daily. So we know that um, God is sovereign, and so he's sovereign over suffering, so therefore the suffering can bring him glory, and he receives glory when we endure sufferings. And how? Mainly because we walk in the footsteps of Jesus and reflect him like we talked about. And pain and suffering are opportunities that we have to show the love that God's been giving us to other people too as they're suffering. And we know that we established, or we established earlier that the ability to endure is only because of Christ in us. And as we suffer and endure dependently on Christ, we will glorify him. And I want you to see this is not, we'll let Casey make it through this world. I want to endure so I get to heaven in the end and keep the faith. But ultimately, enduring is not just for our faith, but for God's glory in others. So ultimately, enduring is not just for our faith, but for God's glory in others, we endure for the sake of others. See, when a heart softened to the gospel, the Christian now has this ability to grieve and see the brokenness of the world without trying to rationalize it away. We can rejoice in the suffering that produces endurance, and we can endure alongside others to make his name known. 
We will run the race with our eyes fixed on Christ for the joy and the crown of his glory, but we will also run so we can encourage others. We will want them to run with us and point them to the finish line as well. We will intercede for their hearts, not just ours. We'll study our Bible, not just so we know it, but so we can give account of it. And we will meet together in community, not just so we have friends, um, but so we can serve one another. We will finish the race and keep the faith and know that we will receive the gift of endurance from God along the way. So endure for the sake of the gospel and his glory while running. And as Luke says, by your endurance, you will gain your eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and thank you for being the giver of endurance. Thank you for giving us the strength to press on and endure each day, no matter what the hardship might look like. I ask that um, you increase our faith in you and increase our love for you. Give us a desire to want to study and memorize your scriptures. Give us a desire and ability to seek out community to endure along with. In Jesus' name, amen.